We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. Mike is out today. And I know a lot of you are dying to hear reactions to certain events uh, on draft day that, unfortunately, Mike and I will not be able to discuss, at least specifically, until it is official. That said... We did a recent series of podcasts uh, that really focused on the idea of bigger, faster, and stronger. There was one in particular on power guards that's worth going back and listening to if you want some just kind of general overall thoughts along those lines. So I apologize. We're in this kind of weird in-between place on the pod where we can we, we kind of have to dance around some things. That said, Darius, I cannot wait to hear your thoughts about... <laughs> <laughs> yesterday's events i've got a lot of thoughts on on the proposed trade in general right um and i wrote a lot of them down and so if you want like a more sort of nuanced and and, and broader look at at everything you can go to forum blue and gold and you can read my write-up on the proposed trade for and the proposed acquisition that's being reported of Russell Westbrook to the Lakers Westbrook in general. And I think you and I, Pete, when we get into the deeper weeds of this specific pod, he is a fascinating player, not just because of him individually, but as a player archetype that you're going to put next to LeBron and Anthony Davis, like removing the idea of who he is as an individual and all that comes with him. There's a skill set there that I think we'll probably discuss in more detail today, that sort of idea of what pairing those skills together in combination with LeBron and Anthony Davis, that's going to matter. My opinion of Russell Westbrook is complicated. In a lot of ways, he reminds me of, not as a player, but the idea of him reminds me actually a lot of Kobe Bryant. I didn't write this because I don't like to bring up Kobe's name a lot in print, but he is a fascinating player to me 
in terms of his mental approach, in terms of his idea that he can always be a problem solver on the court through sheer will and physicality. The idea of him as a ball-dominant, fearless player. These things have nothing to do with skill set. This is all sort of approach-based stuff that I'm fascinated by when it comes to him as a talent. When it comes to his skill, the idea of a power guard and someone who can really be a shot creator for himself and for teammates. So I want to go back to last season real quick with you, Pete, because I think the idea of bringing in a player like Dennis Schroeder, for example, was this hunting by the Lakers of this skill set that they know that they need more of, but is sort of hard to get to when you're building around a LeBron James team, right? And and the seeking out of a secondary or sometimes even a primary ball handler who can complement LeBron in real ways and can, and can both make LeBron's life easier in ways, both as a off-ball worker and an on-ball worker, that exact player is going to be super rare. Like right. he, like like he just is. Maybe there's maybe two or three of those guys who play point guard in the entire league. Like one of those guys is Steph Curry, right? Another one of those guys might be Chris Paul, and then after that, you're sort of just like, eh, maybe Kyrie Irving. Right. They won a championship together. So it, it's not a stretch to to say that. But outside of that, I feel like you're going to have a lot of mismatches in, in very specific ways, not in broad ways, but in specific ways. And the specific ways showed up, I think, at sometimes in pairing him with a player like Dennis. Russell, to me, is like Dennis on steroids. Right. It's it's the idea of. You are such a physical force. You are such a ball-dominant guy. You are such a shot creator. And that's going to cut in a lot of different ways when flanking LeBron James. And and so I know that we're not going to necessarily get into the specifics of Russ from your side, but I'd love to hear your general thoughts about how much does shot creation matter as a secondary or third shot, shot creator matter when you're talking about pairing him with with Anthony Davis and specifically around LeBron? Like, do you think it enhances him more? And and is there a point on like the graph, right, where you're talking about like positive returns and where that plateaus some and it's like not as useful? Because I think this is a fascinating idea to to play around with. Absolutely. And I think that the team is going undergoing a bit of a identity shift, right? That with additional shot creation. So the reason why that's important is because so much of the construct of the previous couple of years teams has been around LeBron's going to handle the lion's share of playmaking duties. When we won the chip, it was basically LeBron and AD and role players who could defend and sometimes hit threes, but it was really defense, right? Like that was LeBron was the starting point. He started at point guard. Right. He was eligible at guard for the all NBA teams. That's right. Positionally, he was a guard, right? right? Like he defended forwards, but on offense, he was a guard. And so what that means is the the shot creation and the organization and all of those responsibilities. It was really Rondo, right? It was the other guy that could do that. But Rondo is 
on the back nine of his career, right? And Rondo was a, a bench player and he was able to really impact a few NBA finals or uh, he was able to really impact a few NBA playoff games. But in terms of a 82 game and in some sense, when he did play well in the playoffs, it was found money, right? He was not a central core piece of the shot creation. That was relying upon LeBron. Then we make the move for Dennis, and that's no longer the case to the same degree. Now, Dennis has spent most of his career as as a sixth man, and the what normally happens for sixth men type point guards is they are attackers. They are weapons rather than offensive organizers or guys like the nature of starting and starters and how they play starters tend to be bigger. It tends to be a slower pace. Second units are where you tend to get a little smaller, uh, a little more wide open, a little more. We're just going to run a lot of high ball screens, right? That portion of the game in the middle of the game is very much focused around that. And Dennis very much fit into that concept, but Dennis is also pretty small. Right. He's a he's a small guard. Our backcourt was relatively small. It went from Avery Bradley, who was a very strong, uh, stout point of attack defender. Also, Danny Green, a guy we've talked about a lot, being big and strong to Dennis and KCP. And when you go back and listen to previous episodes, right, that was one thing that I kind of lamented a little bit is that it's not a knock on either of those players. It's just collectively that is a small backcourt. And then when you get into the fact that we didn't have a ton of size on the wing as well, the idea of us being bigger, faster, and stronger, when you looked at it across the roster was not as, it wasn't as true as it was in 2020. It was much more uneven and not, and it was out of balance in terms of the dispersal. Of, That's right. It of, was all front court. Well, well, mm-hmm. well, of that quality. It was all, you know, it was LeBron, really, right? And Kuz was bigger. He wasn't necessarily stronger and faster, but he was bigger, right? And then it was the big guys. Like, I, uh-huh. I feel like even, but even with them. Yes. It this was, was going to go. Yeah. It, it, it was like that athletic quality wasn't necessarily there there were physical tools tools there but athleticism was not necessarily a part of the equation even after you brought in drummond who was athletic in certain ways right like he had quick feet he could be explosive in short areas right but he was not a leaper he was not tall like it was quite the departure from dwight and javel who in both of them in their own way were sort of very physically impressive and the Lakers lost some of that when those guys were swapped out. Remember in the title run season, I used to talk about how we'd have an Air Force, how we had yeah. an Air Force of Dwight and JaVale and these guys, and obviously AD, right? These guys that were real threats above the rim. And that was one thing with our five position that we didn't have a ton of this past season, right? Even though you're absolutely right about Drummond of the guys that stuck around. Obviously, we had Damian Jones for that little stretch, and he was easily the best lob threat that we had amongst the non-AD guys, at least. Um Drummond was the best lob guy we had amongst our fives, right? Mark doesn't really put any pressure on the rim. Trez is wonderful around the basket, but it's more of a a floor bound game and a, a like using angles and using his body and contorting wonderful finisher from all sorts of angles. But in terms of that vertical 
plane yeah. that Air Force. Trez isn't much of a an Air Force type of guy. And no, so getting he's getting a slasher. That, right. And so getting some Air Force type qualities from a different position and from the from the backcourt in particular. I'm curious your thoughts on, on that, on that idea of controlling the vertical space that us winning battles 10 and a half feet above the, the floor and being able to do that from from a backcourt position is something that is a, a different twist on a similar concept. It definitely is. But what I look for more from like a player like Westbrook, for for example, is it's not necessarily that sort of athleticism to finish above the rim. He's obviously great at that um, and, and has been historically over the core course of his career. The thing that the thing that matters to me, though, isn't necessarily the Air Force quality. And I don't know if I have a military analogy here, but it is. It is the idea of getting from point A to point B very quickly and mm-hmm. with authority, right? And so, like, you know when you're driving down down the street and you sort of, um, you hear sirens, but you don't see them yet. And so you hear sirens and then you start to look in all your mirrors. Right, and, you're looking all around, and, like, wait, where's it coming from? Yeah. Like, where's it coming from? Do I need to pull over, right? Like, are they coming up fast <laughs> behind me? Uh-huh. And there's sort of this sense of like, okay, someone's coming fast. And when you see, and when you see that they're coming up behind you, it's sort of like, oh shit, like I really got to move here because here comes the highway patrol or someone, right? And I think of a player like Westbrook, and it's that idea of his siren is always running, right? And he is a guy who is moving very quickly almost all of the time especially in transition and in the open court. He is hunting those those opportunities. And so an idea to me about sort of, you had mentioned earlier about like the Lakers are sort of undergoing an identity shift. and, And I think that that is true. I also think though that it's also a recall to what was, right? And and that idea of getting back to something that isn't quite the same, right? It, it's not, this player isn't a lob catching big, but he is a physical specimen. And even the championship team did not have a player like this, right? Their guards were big and they were physical and they were strong, but they weren't dynamic, right? right? And there is an element now that I think is going to be so impressive with the Lakers in their ability to sort of just physically go through you in 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 a way from the perimeter that they honestly I can't recall the last time they had anything like this, like not even young Kobe was sort of like this player, maybe 2005, 2006 Kobe, like that guy who was sort of that relentlessness of like, oh, you're in my way. Like, I don't care. I'm going to shed you. Now, different stages of their career and everything. And, and and when we start to dive into Russ more individually and sort of where he's at 
at this point of his career and really dive into his individual strengths and weaknesses. We'll talk more about this quality in general, but the idea of him as someone who can get from point A to point B very quickly and can play with force and can play with athleticism, that is a callback to the championship team. It's coming from a position that is a bit foreign, right? And so incorporating that from these different parts of the floor is going to be something that Vogel and the coaches are going to have to figure out. What's that look like in terms of like, oh, this is perimeter-based now. It's not... It's not dunker spot, right? It's 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 how do we create driving angles? How do you create space? Where are you going to set up offensive actions from in order to best create lanes and, and slashing angles and clear paths in order to get to the restricted area? And those are all things that are going to be on the coaches' minds, I I'm sure, even from before yesterday. Guys, right. This is this is one of the most fascinating basketball questions that I've ever been presented with as a Laker fan, right? Is how does this work? I am, I've been watching a ton of tape since, you know, there was first getting some wind of this. Um, and I am, I cannot wait. You wrote a, a brilliant post at form bloom gold that you referenced earlier that I thought really hit on each of the aspects of this. Uh, and, and there are plenty of them and you can make, in my eyes, five to six different arguments, both good at and bad, both optimistic and pessimistic, and all of them are correct. And so that's why once this becomes official, that really delving into the individual elements of it is something that I'm really excited about. That said, the construction of the team is now fundamentally different if, if this goes through, right? And so the idea of a third star really changes the complexion of what the rest of the team looks like. So let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I'd love to hear your thoughts on building around three stars because it's fundamentally different than what we were doing before. If you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all the other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you for just the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com backslash join. That's bwhustle.com backslash join. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So Darius, uh, this team gets expensive very quickly, right? We talked about this a little bit in the preview for the offseason and for the draft. In in light of the events of, of draft day, what now? What what do we look toward now to supplement the rest of the roster? I'll be very interested to see which direction a team goes in and who is prioritized and what is prioritized. Um you you know the the context of a deal like this not only does it change the construct of the roster it it pushes things back to more of a blank slate in terms of building some something out i i remember after the lakers traded for anthony davis there was basically no one on the roster it was lebron it was anthony davis and it was mm-hmm. kyle kuzma right. and and i think alex caruso right and those were the only guys who were under contract. Caruso may not have even been under contract. Um, and the idea of like, okay, well, where do you go now? And I remember like having to push back the sort of the strong critiques and the honestly some trolls like at the time, right? About like who the Lakers were targeting. It's just like, oh, well, they're bringing back Rondo and JaVale McGee and Okay, okay, well, we like Danny Green, right? And then, okay, well, KCP, oh, okay, right? And then it was like, oh, Avery Bradley, Dwight Howard, right? And it was sort of like, oh, like, what are they doing? Well, it was DeMarcus Cousins, remember? Oh, yeah, and, and Boogie, Cousins. Because mm-hmm. Boogie got hurt, and then we signed Dwight. But during that initial flurry, it was, like you said, it was Boogie, uh, yeah, all of that. And, and so this idea of, it's sort of back to that now like the lakers are only going to have a a few guys under contract when all when all of the dust settles and going into free agency there were all there was already anticipated going to be a fair amount of like the lakers have a bunch of free agents right jared dudley's a free agent markeith morris is 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 a free agent alex caruso's a free agent tht's a free agent dennis schroeder's a free agent at the time montrez harrell was a free agent he opted in but there was a lot of uncertainty around the roster to to begin with and so the prioritization of skill sets and the optimization of the resources that are available to the team are going to be super interesting to me they're going to have basically like the taxpayers mid-level exception and they're going to have a bunch of minimum exceptions um and and who do and who do they get with those guys what what do you prioritize from a skill set perspective I mean, shooting is going to be super important. Like, it just is a lot. I understand that we've had debates on 
this pod about how valuable shooting is, right? And shooting and spacing are not always the same things, right? And so I'd like to have more shooting. I think shooting will translate to a certain amount of spacing, but I think that when you have star players, those star players have gravity. And so no matter how much spacing you create, no matter how much shooting you have, no one, and I think of the, I think of the nets, right? No one is going to say, yeah, I'm not going to help on James Harden because Joe Harris is over there or Landry Shamit is, is over there. Like if you have a choice and you're put into a position to actually stay home or help on Kevin Durant or James Harden, guess what? You're going to go help. And you're going to have to trust your rotations and you're going to hope that the guy who isn't an MVP candidate, that that guy misses, right? And so I think shooting is going to be important for for the Lakers, but so is defense, right? So is a certain amount of like front court versatility. I think that the idea of how much five is Anthony Davis going to play is going to impact how much they invest in the center position. Um, I have a lot of questions about whether or not Marcus Saul is going to come back next season. He's under contract, but is he going to retire? Is he going to stay on board? There's a lot of questions to me. Um, but I do think first and foremost, like they need shooting and they need wing depth. Like there's no way around that. And I think that it'd be silly to think that you aren't, actively trying to look for guys who can play on the perimeter and and who I prioritize defense over shooting with the rest of the roster right in that I think that fundamentally this team is going to be a transition team at its best right a, a team that gets out on the run and the ability to force live ball turnovers, the ability to get long rebounds, the ability to win the plays, to win the scramble situations of the NBA, the situations before teams are set to a degree that mitigates potential half-court offense issues. Um, and there is a lot of – again, this is something that I can't wait to dive into with specifics and, and the reasons why they, they can really lean on that. But all of it starts with defense. And the more kind of grimy guys that you can get around that type of – a three-star type of construct, the better. And my attitude is is that if you can put enough pressure on the rim – like you said, these are, these are situations where that gravity really matters. If you – are able to do that with a three-star construct, the openness of the shots, you're basically asking NBA players to make open shots. Now, they don't always make open shots. We saw that in the playoffs, right, in our series against Phoenix, that even good mid-30s level three-point shooters can struggle. And the playoffs are a whole different beast, I think, when it comes to shooting in particular. But the ability to get out on the run, to force misses, to force live ball turnovers, I think is essential. And I think that there's a certain degree of you can find that in vet minimum guys, that you could find that in, in cheaper guys. That is part of, I think, the brilliance of the the 2020 team and how it was constructed is that 
that guys who can really defend are, I think, kind of an undervalued asset in in the NBA because the ability to create a shot in the first place is the most important thing. And so everybody's looking to spend their money on guys who can do that. We have a bit of a luxury to to maximize a market where other guys can't necessarily other teams cannot pursue a player to the degree that we can in a role that we can give them because they need they have needs in that shot creation area and so to me i would prioritize defense and hoping that nba players can make the open shots that result of of a three-star type of construct see so i agree with everything you said i really do a part of me also feels like though well what if it's just time to outscore some guys, <laughs> right? Yeah, and that and, might be the identity shift that we're undergoing, by the way, is I think that, that it is shifting more toward offense. Uh, and maybe that's to say we're shifting more toward balance. But that said, we yeah. only have a few guys under contract, so it could be a completely different look. And then that gets into questions about that's a different Frank Vogel team, right? Because the last yeah. two rosters have been very much aligned. What, a lot of ball pressure, a lot of you know heating up on the perimeter, the ability to trap, and yeah. So philosophically, and this is just something that came to me right now, and maybe I'll write about this since I'm writing more since yesterday. Um, <laughs> but if this, we've, often talked about the doubling and tripling down on strengths you you pose this idea a lot Mm -hmm. for the championship team right right it was all right well we can threaten the rim with lebron and anthony davis well let's threaten it with javel mcgee lobs let's threaten it with dwight howard lobs and offensive rebounding like let's double and triple down on this strength because at some point, the defense is going to break. You can't continue to just put five guys at the front of the rim because then that's when the open three-pointers are going to come. And that's when a team is going to make a mistake on, on a rotation. That's when they're going to be sort of beaten to oblivion, right? The other side of that argument is, though, is, okay, well, what are the strengths of your coaching staff? for example, if the strengths of your coaching staff are defense, can you maybe say, Mm -hmm. all right, well, let's, let's gear more towards offensive players. You know, the best out of them on the defensive end. Yeah. And, and and try to, and try to maximize them through coaching and scheme and through playing hard. Like I think of the nets again, right? I keep going back to, to the nets because like they're a three-star team. They're a team that was built mostly around offense. And the question was, are they ever going to defend? We had this conversation on this exact pod about the Nets pretty much the entire season as we forecasted out what a potential finals matchup might be, or just sort of looking at the construct of the league and us being NBA fans. And you know what I saw from the Nets during the postseason is that, you know what, during the postseason when game plans are way more focused and when the intensity and the stakes go up and the players are basically dialed in all of the time on doing their jobs, guess what? They get better at defense. 
right? Like even if they're not necessarily good defenders, they get better at defense. It's the biggest thing that changes from the regular season to, because playing good defense requires a ton of focus and a ton of effort in a way that I always say, you don't expect a marathon runner to sprint the entire time, right? Defense is the place where the regular season and, and playoffs are separated. And like you said, even guys that don't have necessarily the best reputation, they can, they, they get better. The defense is better in the postseason. I would argue though, that size is a great equalizer or or unequalizer right that we saw in the finals and even in that net series obviously you have big time uh you have big time injury issues that happen between the nets and bucks but the size of milwaukee the way that their series went against pretty much every team that they played as the series got went on longer the more effective they were in part because you make all of the adjustments you scheme you've gone up against the same guy five other games you're in game six now you know exactly the moves he likes to use and the tendencies that he has and just the general rhythm that he plays with at some point the bigger faster stronger athlete starts to win in those circumstances drew holiday being an example of a a power guard right that was able to thrive and this is even while shooting four for 20 from the field a couple of times, right? Now, part of that's because of his defense, right? And so it's not a a one-to-one type comp. But the point is that in these situations where a Brooklyn team is totally good enough to on the defensive end and they're totally focused enough and can game plan, that at that point it becomes a matchup of athletes and who's the superior athlete along with who's superior skill-wise, right? That is the, the, the battle that is essentially going on between one side and the other. But as time goes on, as the series goes on, I think it favors more and more the athlete. Yeah, and so I agree with that. My question is, is that if you've got good enough athletes who are who skew towards offense, can you get enough out of them defensively sure. in sure. order to hang, right? And I look at a team like the 2017 Cavs, right, who are historically a loser, they lost to the Golden State Warriors, who had Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, and all those guys. But if you listen to any of the reporters around that that team, like a Brian Winhorst or even a Dave McMenamin, who is now on uh, on the Lakers beat, they would probably all tell you that the 2017 team was a better team than the 2016 team that actually won the championship. And that 2017 team is an interesting template, I think, for the 2021-22 Lakers because they were mostly, they mostly skewed offense, right? It was LeBron, it was Kyrie, it was Kevin Love, um, right? Tristan Thompson was like their probably best defensive big guy. And then it was like the Kyle Corvers and the J.R. Smiths and um, a bunch of guys like that. And, I think of the Lakers and I think of, okay, well, you've got Anthony Davis and you've got LeBron. That's already a fantastic foundation. Um, Let's see what happens at the big man position right behind those guys. But if you could get a couple of combo forwards who are maybe skew more offense, but can hold up defensively, right? And you get another guard who is maybe smaller and is a shooter, right? And it's just like, okay, well, 
that guy's not the best, but maybe he's been on playoff teams and he understands playoff level competitiveness and team defense. And let's say he's going to compete on that end of the floor. Okay, well, now we're getting closer to like a team that resembles more and more like the 2007-17 Cavs. Now, is that team going to be able to beat a bigger, faster, stronger Milwaukee Bucks team? Maybe. You know why? Because the Lakers are going to have some bigger, stronger, faster themselves, right? And so the Lakers have a head start in a lot of different ways when we talk about this idea of being bigger and stronger and faster because they are grasping at that now. If they can sort of maintain a baseline level of size and versatility and 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 if they skew even more towards offense, I'll be very interested to see like, okay, well, how are you going to stop this team? And if you have trouble stopping this team, guess what? And this is true of the Nets as well. And I said right. this about the Nets. Right. Like, guess what? If you can't stop this team, their defense is almost always going to be set. Right? That's right. And imagine how many fouls this team can draw. Guess what's also great is being able to set your defense behind shooting foul shots. Right? Mm-hmm. There are so many different things that you can do defensively after a made basket that is just harder to do mm-hmm. when you're missing a bunch of shots. And that was one of the areas where I thought the Lakers where things sort of compounded against them during the playoffs, especially it wasn't just that their offense struggled and that they couldn't make shots. It was how that led to opportunities for the other team on offense against a Lakers defense that was no longer set. And I, I Mm -hmm. looked at the sun's game plan in the first round and I was just like, Oh, you know what's in their game plan right now to run it back at the Lakers and run it down their throats and play an early offense and play in transition because they're, they're bigger and stronger, but they're not always faster. And and so like, that's why the makeup of this team, I'm not saying don't go for defense because I always want good defensive players, but I'm also very interested to see it's just like, Oh, well, what would it look like if they got some combo forwards who could shoot? Or Mm -hmm. so, right? Because you've got LeBron and Anthony Davis. And if you have one wing who can defend, and then you've got a combo forward who is sort of just like, okay, he'll do his job. And if you can get a point guard who is big and strong and fast and say, hey, man, what we really need from you is to do your job defensively. Right. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to have to be, you don't got to be Drew Holiday out there. Right. But can you be Steph Curry level of of a defensive player? Can you be a Kyrie Irving level of a defensive player? Because if you can be a certain baseline level while the rest of the guys are really doing their their jobs too, and that's anchored by LeBron and Anthony Davis, you're on your way there to potentially being a special team. Like, So I'll be interested to see how it all shakes out in the end. This is one of the most fascinating basketball questions. Like I said, there are, you could make half a dozen arguments for it. You can make half a dozen arguments against it, and all of them are correct. That's something that I, and once it it becomes official, it's something that we're going to go down every single one of those rabbit holes. Cause again, it's just, it's so multifaceted. Again, uh, please, if if you're listening, go read Darius's post over at Form Blue and Gold about this, that, 
we are going to get into every single little piece and, and bit of this over the course of the summer once that we can. Thank you for bearing with us over this uh, strange period of time where we kind of have to dance around things a little bit. Um, fingers crossed for a successful free agency. Signed a couple of two-way guys that I know a lot of draft Twitter was excited about. Maybe we'll get Mike back on to do do a segment to to discuss them once summer league starts. But yeah, we've uh, um really exciting. Really, times are changing for they sure are. in in Lakerland. So we'll be here to cover all of that, and we'll be back next week. Everybody have a great weekend. Uh, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Ryan spinning in the lane, back for Gasol, pretty pass, and it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant, picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it! It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant, yes! And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.